I'm going to start this morning with a, with a story, and uh, it's a personal story. I'm an eyewitness to it, but I was only three years old at the time. The only other eyewitness is here this morning, my mom, who's visiting from Neosho, Missouri. She's here. Um, and I'll tell this, this is, so this is not what preachers are supposed to do, so I'm going to break all the rules here. A little background on the story itself before I tell the story. I grew up hearing this story from our preacher, Don Deffenbaugh, because it was his favorite story. Uh, and so I heard this story uh, that I was in, and that was always kind of embarrassing. And then I remember when I went off to college, some visiting uh, guy in chapel was the speaker. I didn't know who the guy was. He told the story. So the story got around. So maybe you've heard the story. Um, here goes. It was a cold winter's day in Missouri, and I was about three years old, 1972-ish, and cold days are tough on the moms because the kid is inside. You've got to find stuff to do for the kid to do. And basically, uh, what I did was really drive my mom totally nuts. I mean, I just made messes. I disobeyed. I got in trouble constantly. That's what I was good at. And so I got disciplined regularly. It was no lack of discipline, believe me. And occasionally, if she was not able to handle things, I was even told, okay, wait till dad gets home. And I knew that was going to be bad. But that, it was one of those days. I was just getting in a lot of trouble. And that blissful moment happened in the day when she was able to put me down for my nap. So a little bit of peace, a little oasis of calm there in the middle of her day. And so she put me down for my nap. While I was asleep, and it was a long nap, two hours, three hours, long nap. Uh, so while I was asleep, the city of Neosho was coated in snow big snowstorm came, and by the time I woke up, it had stopped, but the ground was covered in this heavy white blanket of snow. And so my mom was kind of excited when she got me out of my crib. She was kind of excited to show me the snow outside. And so she picked me up, and she took me to the kitchen window, and she said, Gordon, Gordon, look at that. And I looked out at all of that snow, and with a face that exuded a plea for innocence, a cry for innocence, I looked at her and I said, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I thought, I was guilty of plenty of stuff and I thought I was being accused of something I actually didn't do. So, um, she's rounding up the usual suspects and like, someone, you're responsible for that. But there's something funny about that, the innocence of a child believing that they are being accused of something that happened because of the weather, right? Like we could control the weather. I mean, as we saw this weekend with those little micro bursts of rain, we can't even predict the weather, right? I mean, we try, uh, but we can't even predict it very well, much less control it. Which gets us to our story in Mark chapter 4 this morning, because of course Jesus, he could control the weather. The one person who ever lived, who was, he was the weatherman. I mean, Jesus could speak to the weather, and it was like an employer-employee relationship. He actually did control the weather. Um, and it's, we learn a lot about him in this story. So let's jump right in this morning. Start in Matthew, or Mark 4, rather, starting in verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat... And started out, leaving the crowds behind, although a few other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. 
high waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the water, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, the disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. That is the question. We're going to get into a lot of other stuff in this story, a lot of helpful lessons for, our, for us, I think, about our faith, about what real faith looks like, and about the storms we encounter in life. But let's not miss, this is the center of the story, right? It's this question, who is this? Now, the disciples are asking this question because I think, you go with me on this, they're getting a glimpse that Jesus isn't just a man, He's not just some guy. He's not just a great teacher. He's not even just a miracle worker. They're getting a glimpse that somehow he's divine. And they've seen glimpses of this before. A couple of weeks ago, we saw him heal a paralytic man there in Capernaum. But before he did that, he said, Son, your sins are forgiven and remember the response from the religious teachers they started thinking and talking amongst themselves only God can forgive sins and the disciples witnessed that only God can forgive sins and here's Jesus forgiving sins the disciples have gotten to see Jesus cast out legion of demons legions Send demons running from the hills. And the demons said of Jesus in chapter 3, verse 11, the demons said of Jesus, you are the Son of God. The disciples have gotten a glimpse of his divinity as he has cast out every sort of illness and sickness everywhere he goes. In fact, we just saw last week there a public miracle, a fellow in the temple who had a withered up hand. Jesus says the word, and this arm regenerates before their very eyes. So, who is this man? Now he's talking to the weather, and the weather is saying, yes, sir. And they're a little bit confused, right? Because they've also seen the human side of Jesus. They've broken bread with Jesus. They've snacked with Jesus. They've walked with Jesus. They've seen him rub his, his feet after a long day of walking. They're seeing him in this story taking a nap because he's tired. Who is he? He acts like a man and he acts like God. And so the first thing I've got for you to write down on your outline this morning, this is really the center of this story. Jesus, you've heard this before, but this is the center of the story. He is 100% man. He is 100% God. That's who Jesus is. 100% man, 100% God. And we don't want to miss that 
in this story. Now, this passage is not primarily about me. It's not primarily about us. It is a passage about Jesus. The storm in this passage becomes yet another witness to the identity of Jesus. The storm tells us, this is God. I obey this person. At the same time, the story does have some important things to tell us about a faith, a robust faith, a real faith for real life. Now, we live in a day and time, and you know this, where the, the central message of the Christian faith has gotten polished up, and it's gotten branded, and there's been some, some modifications added to it to make it a little more winsome, a little more attractive. You've probably heard this gospel on TV or seen it in a best-selling book somewhere. If you follow Jesus and if you have enough faith, your problems are over. Faith in Jesus means wealth. It means health. It means success for your life if you have enough faith. Now, that is not only a false faith, that is not only not what we see in the Bible, it is also an incredibly weak faith. Think about it. If you believe that, if you come to Jesus thinking, if I have enough faith, my problems are over, I'm not going to ever be diagnosed with this, that, or the other thing. Everything is going to be hunky-dory in my marriage. I'll never lose my job. Everything is going to go great for me. If you are converted to Christ and you build your faith on that assumption, you are in big trouble. Your faith is so weak. It is a house of cards because the first time the winds blow, the first time the water rises and begins to fill your boat, your faith is wiped out. But good news, that's not faith. We see faith in the story. We encounter a faith that is robust when the tornado siren sounds. And so we have this identity of Jesus in the middle of the story. We also find out a lot about what real faith looks like. So number one there on your outline, here's what we see. Storms are inevitable even with Jesus in the boat right storms are inevitable even when you got Jesus in the boat and a robust faith right it allows God to use storms that I don't like and I don't want these uninvited guests into my life of suffering of struggle of chaos I allow God to work through those when I have faith in him. Mark 4, 26 and 27. They took Jesus in the boat. Soon a fierce storm came up, right? He is there with them. They can literally reach out and touch the Son of God. So now let me ask you a real softball question, a rhetorical question. Here goes. Did the fact that Jesus was with them exempt them from going through the storm? No. Does the fact that you are a believer, that Jesus is in your life, mean that you're not going to have bad stuff happen to you? No. And I wish, I sincerely wish, that believers or really anybody for that matter 
would never have the experience of going to the doctor and hearing that they've been diagnosed with cancer or any other kind of chronic illness or terminal illness. I wish and I grieve it when I see folks having to go through that. And I wish that believers never had to hear that they're, they've lost their job. And I wish that disciples never had to struggle with a rebellious child. And I wish that believers never had to endure conflict and difficulty in their marriages. I really wish that was true. But it's not. We have to go through storms even with Jesus in the boat. And we've got the proof right here in the text. Jesus is with them and he's going to go through the storm with him. And that really gets us um, on to the next point. And I want you to write this down. Number two here. Storms are not an indication. And this may be the thing you need to hear this morning. Storms are not an indication that Jesus doesn't care. My faith sees that God hasn't abandoned me, but is at my side in the middle of the storm. Now, they ask the question, the disciples do, they ask a question that I bet you have asked before. When you're going through the grinder, when you've gotten a, a phone call with some terrible news, this question, the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care? We're about to drown here. Don't you Care. We still ask that question today. The answer is, he cares so much that he is going to go through the storm with you, right? I mean, he is there in the boat with those disciples, experiencing the, those same circumstances, that same situation that they're going through. And I love knowing that. And I love reminding people of that. It's hard. There are storms in life. And disciple, your Lord is with you in the boat. He has not abandoned you. It's not that he doesn't love you or isn't concerned about you, that he's allowing you to go through this storm. And this is not a new theme in Scripture. God has been telling his people this all along. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament, Isaiah 43 Verses 1 to 3, listen to what God says to us. He says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You belong to me. When, and this is the most important word in the text, just put a circle around this in your mind every time we read this word. When you pass through the waters. Not if, not, you know, maybe at some point you're going to go through some bad stuff. No, when. When you pass through the waters, what? I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, when? They won't sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The, the flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, who I'm your Savior. I got this. And God's got to tell us that all the time. I got this. I'm with you. I haven't abandoned you. When this happens, when that happens, in other words, you're going to go through some hard stuff. You're going to go through some hard stuff. 
it's going to happen. And God, I don't care if it's Old Testament, New Testament, never promises a pain-free, problem-free life for his children. What he promises is far more personal, far more powerful. When you go through it, I will go through it with you. Number three, and this is just for perspective. Think about this. Storms are no big deal for Jesus. In Brazil, when something's no big deal, you do this. No big deal. Storms are no big deal for Jesus. My faith rests assured that the Lord is bigger than any storm I face. Verse 39, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the water, silence, be still. Immediately the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Now, how is this for a faith step? I bet no one's ever told you this before. Maybe your faith, your step of faith today is to go to sleep. <laughs> Look at Jesus who's with you. See how calm he is. Feel the peace that he transmits. And when you go to bed tonight and put your head on the pillow, go to sleep and have a great night's sleep. There is no storm in your life that you're facing today that he can't handle. He's got it. Now, I'll tell you, and I've said this before, I don't enjoy air travel. I do a good deal of air travel. I know a lot of you have. I don't like it. I don't like getting hassled by TSA. I don't like having my knees crammed. In. I, I, don't li- I don't like it. My least favorite part is when you're seven miles up, you know, 40,000 feet, and things start getting really bumpy. I don't like that. And I start gripping those hand rests. But the next thing I do after I grip the, hand, the, the, the little rails there is I look at the flight attendants. We got some here this morning. I look at the flight attendants because if that thing's bumping up and down, but they're moving up and down the aisle, and they're passing out pretzels and peanuts, and they look like everything's good, it's all good, man. They're the pros. They know what's up. Now, if they run for those little jump seats, strap in and look nervous, we're in trouble, right? I'm telling you, in your storm, look at Jesus. He's the pro. He's taking a nap at the front of the boat, man. It's good. He's got this. You don't have a storm going on that he can't handle. So when I get in a storm, I fasten my seatbelt. And I look at Jesus. Number four, we'll finish up with this. The fourth and most important faith step in this story is this. Stop marveling at the storm and start marveling at the Savior. Instead of reminding the Savior how big my storm is, how about I start reminding my storm how big my Savior is? Verse 41, I love the end of this story. They were only kind of scared because of the storm. Now they get really scared. Don't you love this? Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obeyed him. And Mark tells us they were terrified. They're like, what is going on here? We got God in the boat. And Jesus, of course, is like, where's your faith, guys? You got God in the boat. 
Have a little faith. Jesus is, he's the real weatherman. He speaks and the storms vanish. And we spend way too much time telling God how bad the situation is, how terrible it is, how stressed out we are, how big the storm is. And we need to start telling the storm how big God is. So how about you? He's in the boat. Will you trust him? Will you allow him to work in some circumstances that maybe aren't circumstances you would have chosen? Or maybe you haven't come to Christ and it's time for you to cross that line of faith and put on Christ. One more story this morning. I got to spend back in college a few summers out in Washington, D.C. doing some internships. And, and during one of these summers, I got to spend two or three hours with our congressman from southwest Missouri, who at that point was a guy named Mel Hancock, all right? And so it was interesting because I'd been in and out of the Capitol building a few times during my internships, and it was kind of a hassle, all right? Everything out of the pockets, walk through the big metal detector. You might even get frisked or someone might do the wand thing on you. But this was a different experience because Mel and I, member of Congress and I, were walking into the Capitol. There's a big line of people. He walks right around that line of people. We're not stopping at the metal detector. We're not getting frisked. Mel points at me and looks at the guards and says, he's with me. And we walk right on through. And then we get to the members' dining room, right? There's senators, there's congressmen in there and stuff, all these important people, and we walk right in. I don't, I'm not getting in there, except I'm with him, right? And so we had lunch together in the members' dining room, and it got me thinking, you know, the Bible tells us, Hebrews 9.27 we're all going to die, no surprise. Then we're all going to face judgment. We are all going to face judgment, every person who ever lived. And so I kind of imagine that someday, after this life, I get to heaven, there's a big queue, there's a big line up in heaven, waiting to go through this giant sin detector. And I mean every thought you've ever had that was impure, every word you ever said that was harsh, everything you've ever done that was wrong, Nothing is going to get by the sin detector. And I get up there and I get in line. Jesus comes. He puts his arm around me and says, come on. We walk around the line. We walk past the guards and he says, he's with me. I don't know about you. I don't want to face judgment by myself. The Bible calls this grace. God died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. His blood was shed so that your sins could be washed away, so that his perfection, so that his righteousness could be given to you. Will you receive that? Will you receive Jesus? And pass right on by. And Revelation 19 paints this portrait of believers sitting at the banquet table of the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's the members' dining room, right? I mean, we're going to be at the wedding feast of the King of Kings, of the Lord of Lords. That is our future, not because we deserve it, not because we've, we've you know, tipped the maitre d' a little bit to get in. It's because Jesus says, He's with me. She's with me. 
Have you accepted Jesus? Have you put Him on in faith? Have you brought Jesus into the boat, into your life? Are you doing life with Jesus? It's a huge help right here and right now. And it's the only way any of us is going to be saved in the end. Maybe you just need prayers this morning. However you need to respond, do that as we stand together and sing.